Welcome to the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. I am your host, Arthur Yan, co-founder and CEO of Nest Protection Plan. We partner with restorers, contractors, real estate professionals, and other entrepreneurs to increase their revenue, grow their business valuation, and help them build a platform of services for homeowners across the country. We think every American family and property owner deserves peace of mind for their health, indoor living, and longevity, all for less than a dollar a day. Also, I love forming relationships. Add me on Facebook or LinkedIn today and let's connect. Oh, and stick around to the end of this episode. We'll reveal how you or someone you know can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Here we go. What is going on, everybody? How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. I am your host, Arthur Yon, and this is episode 28. We are uh, we are very, very excited to keep plugging along. It is uh it is a Monday morning. This show is going to be released, I believe, on a Wednesday, but we are getting started nice and early, and we have an incredible guest for on the show for you today. Um, we're going to introduce him now. He is in San Diego. He is a an investing strategist. He is a, a keynote speaker, a strategist, and has a lot of experience with companies like Boeing, uh, Johnson & Johnson, General Electric, and many, many more. And he has now developed something called the Time Freedom Point for how to leverage what your money versus your, your time is. Uh, I'll let him explain more. So I'm going to introduce him. He's Dr. Axel Meyerhofer. Axel, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great, Arthur. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. Axel, we've already uh, had a great discussion before the show started, and uh, there's just so much uh, that we're gonna. I know we're gonna touch on. Very excited to have you on. Um, so let's start by, if you can, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'm originally from Germany. People will probably hear that when they hear me talk. Um, came over to the United States in 1995 uh, as an exchange officer for the Air Force. So up until that point, I was in the German Air Force and then transitioned into the U.S. Air Force. Um, did that until I retired in 2002 and tried for a little bit to be an employee. Wasn't good at it. And then in 2005, started my own company. Um mainly focusing on consulting. And a few years ago, part of this start into the consulting world also meant for me to ask myself, how would I ever get to a point um, to be able to, in a sense, retire by my, at the time, definition. And I didn't know much of the things that I do um, these days, but I started investing in what I call value assets. And... I told my friends and colleagues and other people about it, and they kept encouraging me as I kept telling more about it. <laughs> they called it, you should make it official. Right? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, what do you mean make it official? Wow, you need a website and you need to start a company and you need to have other people. Oh, okay. So I made it official a few years ago and there, here we are. Idea Wealth Grower is, is available for people to get a little bit of sharing of the things that I learned. Awesome. Awesome. And yes, and uh, obviously we can tell by the accent and we can tell uh, that you already just by your bio, how much experience that you have. Um, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, since you've been a strategic advisor for so many big companies 
And you've also, um, you, you had a program, a, a lead learning map program for Boeing that was delivered to 3,500 employees. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, the thing is, I believe, and maybe this is somewhat influenced by my flying career, that people, and this is, by the way, also backed up by research. I'm not just making it up. When you ask people of experiences where they had to learn something, if it was easier for them to listen to something, if it was easier to read something, or if it was easier to see something, experience something, get something shown that they can comprehend mainly through their eyes, about two thirds of people say the easiest for me is if I can see it, right? And so that's that's where um, the learning map approach comes from. I'm by no means the inventor, I'm just, refined it a little bit and what you basically do if your audience wants to have an imagination on how this actually works is if you take some of those game boards like monopoly or something like that right if you in a sense what happens when you play the game is you're living through a particular story and in monopoly the story is driven by whatever numbers are the the the, the dice are basically producing and there's a little bit of chance by it. Now, if you take this and say, how do we make this deliberate? If we say, okay, here's a company. And at the time when we did the learning map for Boeing, they had done, I think, four reorganizations in like two years on a huge scale in the Seattle area where their main headquarter was at the time. Now they moved to Chicago, but at the time they were still in Seattle. And certain people had been moved around that they, from a business perspective had kind of lost their identity. They didn't mm. really know why they were working in the group that they were assigned to. And the more important thing was that Boeing's leadership actually realized there are people when we listen to them that doesn't sound like somebody is excited to make a plane. And I mean, I believe still to this day, I won this contract against much, much bigger competition purely because I knew what it means to fly a plane, make a plane, maintain a plane and stuff like that, which all the others were all learning experts, probably better than we were, but we knew what they were talking about. And so instead of making a monopoly game board, we took what Boeing wanted and created a story and an activity that you could go through in about three hours where you work your way through activities and, and experiences ultimately to re-inspire this, oh, we're doing this because ultimately we're all part of this family that wants to, in the end, see the plane take off that we made, right? And that's what the learning map transported and it was well received, yeah. It was a, a great, great thing to do. And I feel proud that we as a tiny little shop with like a handful of people ever got the chance. <laughs> that That's incredible. And it really, um, I love what you touched on right there when you started saying that you, you were the one probably that got hired for overseeing everything, not just because of your um, your strategic input, but also because of your experience as a, as a pilot and working with aircraft. And, oh, were you wanting to say something else? Sorry. Well, I, I just wanted to point out, I, it wasn't just me, right? Like one thing, I, that was probably the trigger to say, would we want to give this shop we never heard of the chance? Mm -hmm. The other thing we did with the help of an um, phenomenal digital artist, his name is Bill Hinge, if anybody wants to look him up. He had created a way to basically make 
digital art that is scalable and i don't want to go too deep into it but if you look at a huge poster right and you see like some kind of intricate buildings and airplanes and story and whatever and you arthur would say well this is really cool but as a reminder i would like to give every one of our uh, employees a little postcard can that be done and theoretically it can be done and could always be done with printing but Bill had developed a way that with maintaining the same perspective that you had when you look at the poster, you could shrink it down. You could take a little cutout of just one little piece of that story and say, this is so important for this particular department. And we we built that up pretty well in the proposal document. So I think it's partially that we were closer to the planes than most other competitors and to offer something that they've must have felt is really cool and and they asked us you know can you make like a letter size thing of the game board can you make this part can you you know all kinds of stuff they insisted that we needed to have a northern you know not um, what's it called like a nordic kind of theme with like a blockhouse in the middle and little gargoyles that that are flying around you know so <laughs> and you could have every little if you think about it, you see it and they look tiny tiny right and then you say okay well this character is really cool right and i want that to sit in the entrance of the of the um, conference room to remind people if you don't do your job that little nasty looking gargoyle is biting your ass can we get them bigger <laughs> right like it's uh, stuff like that right and so those were the two factors and and we could see i'm i am my artistry is about two left hands or thumbs if you imagine that mm-hmm. so without bill we would have had not a chance in hell right so but that combination knowing what aviation is about and having somebody who has these amazing digital artistry skills you know and there were some more people but that that really made the whole thing you know a success yeah i love that and it, it it's such a reminder it reminds me of um coaches in the locker rooms and they have posters up or they have visual things to remind the teams you know what the motivation is and and you know what their maybe their overall message of of finding that strength and getting ready for for the games for the field uh so axel let me ask you this because you did such an amazing job of transitioning from a pilot as you realized you were in that leadership role and you said the air force the experience you know really pushed you into getting into a bigger leadership role and then you obviously transition into what you do now being a strategist um an investment uh advisor and all of the above uh for many many companies and with all that said how would you give maybe give one or two pieces of advice for somebody that's in a trade, maybe like a home service trade, plumbing, air, heating and air, restoration, and they've transitioned to be a leader of that organization. They own the business and they kind of need to leave behind uh, the trade mindset and now step into the leadership mindset. Is there a piece of advice or two that you could offer for that? Well, we touched on it a little bit before you started recording. I And I made that decision for myself. The first thing, and I think it uh, applies for, for companies that are in the trades, is that you have to consciously ask yourself, how much, if at all, do you want to scale? And I made the decision, as I told you before, um, that I wanted to have a practice and not what I would define a business as a business practice, basically meaning we want to be the best 
in one particular narrow slice at a limited scale so we have the capacity to serve each individual customer in depth. Now, you can do this even in the trades to a certain point and to be able to do this financially successful is that you get a specialization to such an extent that you differentiate yourself from the competition, not just by your quality, but also by the respect that you earn and therefore you can charge the prices, right? Like if uh, one of the examples is, does Cartier generate millions and millions and millions of pieces of jewelry? No, they have decided consciously we want to be the best in the best kind and the most unique jewelry we make. Or you can take Rolex or other organizations like that that have name recognition. They just don't do mass production, but in a conscious way. And that's why everybody says, if I buy a Rolex, I know it's $20,000, but it's a piece of art, not just a timepiece. I can get a timepiece in every um, cell phone today, right? If I wanted that, I don't even have to pay for that. It comes with it. Right. So that's an important distinction to say, do I want to have a practice of mastery or do I want to scale? If I have a practice of mastery, I want to focus on the mastery. And if I want to scale, then it's a business and it grows. And ultimately, I'm becoming more a leader as in a sense for vision, mission and strategy. And I hire, hopefully, good experts where I don't have to exchange them very many times. So they can do all the things that a growing business needs to scale. Yeah. The other thing that I find, and I've done a lot of consulting uh, for this point, and you know, I said there are two points, is we, we use terms like strategy and tactics and management and leadership sometimes synonymously. And I would encourage people to really spend a little bit of time to dig into what do these terms really mean, right? So leadership and the things associated with it, and you know, um, I studied it. I went as far as like getting a doctorate in it and stuff like that. So I think I, not just talking from practical experience, but also with the theoretical foundation, is really the ability to look forward three to five years into the future, taking the information you have right now and trying to find out two things. Number one is, what do you need to change in your current setup to still be successful or even more successful in three to five years from now? And number two, try to extrapolate from what you know right now, how the environment in which your business or practice is operating is going to change in the future three to five years from now. Now that, if you just think about that for a moment, you know, inherently, everybody says, I don't have a crystal ball. So inherently, we, we, I think, wrongfully use the word risk in this context. I would say, as a leader, you have to acknowledge that it takes a lot of courage to be in that position and trying to figure out what do I need to do, what changes do our company and our departments and our people need to transition through to be successful in three to five years from now. Now, if you compare that to management, leadership should say this is the strategy that gets us from today to three to five years into the future. Please, Mr. and Mrs. Management, take this strategy and convert it in operational tasks that each person in the company at their level have to execute. 
So managers oversee the execution of strategies, but they're not coming up with the strategy themselves. And a lot of people, even founders in companies, even at larger companies that we know the names of, really, really struggle when their career takes them from, okay, I'm, and I always use this example, I'm a salesperson and I'm super successful in sales or whatever thing is being sold. Because of that success, it is very likely that my manager who manages the execution of the growth strategy because some leader told him, I want your area of sales to grow 10% a year, 15% in whatever number. So now I have to make that happen and kind of get my salespeople to do that. If you are one of those salespeople who are exceeding that, that manager is going to say, hey, Arthur is, is like the rock star. We got to make him a manager. Well, what do managers do is in executing the strategy, they need to motivate the people they, that work for them. Well, a great, great, great salesperson doesn't automatically have to be a great motivator of other people. So that's the first thing. So now you actually have to learn something else because I can guarantee you, if you have 15 other salespeople and you're the rock star, every single one of them does it a little differently. And as soon as you become the dictator and say, hey, this is the successful strategy that works for me, you all have to do the same thing. You know what happens? There's going to be some chaos, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one thing, but that's later. What happens immediately is it's going to go down. Yeah. Right? If I tell you, <clears throat> you have developed a skill, a mastery in something. You, you, I don't know, you're the perfect steak, medium rare steak maker. And somebody tells you you're doing it wrong, you have to do it my way that steak is going to suck next time. <laughs> right? So, And you're not going to do it with passion because you know that's not you. Mm -hmm. Especially, I use the example for sales because people that you want to sell to understand and feel, they don't even need to listen. They feel if you're really passionate behind it or if you're just executing a script. Yeah. I make a fun, by the way, when I get these phone calls and somebody is obviously reading a script, right? And I sometimes say, hey, I think... In the third line, you made a mistake. You want to read that again? <laughs> I got to try that because I get those, I get those quite a bit. But, so back to the point. So the salesperson now is a manager of part of the sales department. And all the people in the chaos that is being created start complaining to the next level up manager. But ultimately, let's say this person has potential, was picked uh, for a good reason and learns management. So ultimately, they might even become the director of sales for the whole company as the company has kept growing. And now some wise guy comes along and says, wow, that guy, Johnny, who we have now basically groomed into a great management role, I think he's ready for a leadership position. And what you got really good at is taking what you learned from sale and transition it to executing somebody else's strategy. And now the statement is, you have done plumbing wonderfully. I think you're ready for carpentry. And you go from a great manager over the years to like a total novice, ridiculous, chaos-creating leader. Mm -hmm. right? And that's part of what we do in my consulting business is to help people make that transition. And it's these are the biggest transitions in business, in my opinion. Yeah. From an expert in any role to management, and from a manager on any level 
but typically higher level, like director, associate director level, sometimes even higher than that, senior director level, into true leadership. Mm-hmm. And there's a human component to this for anybody in your audience who is listening and, and trying to answer the question, where do I want to take my business? There is this aspect that just because you were good at something that is very different that you did for a while, to get into something different like like forward-looking strategy, co- courage with uncertainty. Management is not uncertain. You know exactly what the strategy is and what the goals are, and you have to execute and find a way. But yeah. when you go and do strategy and vision and mission, there's uncertainty and a lot of courage needed. So what happens in humans, in my opinion and experience, and that's what we're trying to help them overcome in the consulting side of my business, is to say, don't allow yourself to revert to the things that you used to do that you were good at and that you were successful with when stuff gets tough or when the circumstances get tricky. Mm-hmm. And this is also, in, if, if anybody listens and has maybe worked for larger companies before they started their own business, you will have many examples where somebody gets promoted in a leadership role with a lot of expectations and promise because they were so good and people love to work for them. And now that they are supposed to be leaders, they're basically still managers. Yeah. Wow. And every time the going gets tough, they say, I want to have a 10-step plan. And that's not, you cannot do a 10-step plan for the future. If that were possible, everybody would do it. <laughs> anybody, by the way, who has tried, most 99%, I would venture to guess, fail. Yeah. Because the future is way too unpredictable to put it in a 10-step plan or into a project plan with a task list or anything like that. Right. So those those are really the um, the two things that I would say are, you know, like really being aware these transitions, these two big transitions in, in a career uh, have to happen. And the realization, do I really want to have a business or do I want to have a practice? Because it's very different, the one versus the other. Wow. And th- there's so much insight already that you're providing. Uh, I feel like you should be charging people <laughs> to hear all of this. I do, actually. Not you, but other, <laughs> other people. <laughs> well, I feel like the, the audience is just gaining so much value uh, on just all these different strategies and approaches and how to uh, to really transform into that next step and, and to know who is going to be in the leadership role or are they fit for it or what you know their mentality needs to be. Um, and, and Axel, I want to touch on one more thing. Uh, I read, I'm going to quote this cause I read this, that you have a passion for helping individuals and groups achieve quote, aha moments that shift their perspectives, perspectives, behaviors, and ultimately their future success. And I wanted to know if you'd share with us, what is one of your greatest aha moments that you can recall, um, going through, a process of helping one of these individuals or even a business as a whole? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a story. I don't want to get too deep into it, but it is a person that I got to know as part of a consulting project for a very large uh, corporation. And that company, besides the consulting work that I did for them, asked me if there were some other things that they might be interested in, and this sounds a little weird probably to the audience, but this happens more often than you think that somebody says, hey, you seem to have other things that we are not really um, contracting you for. Would there be some that you think could help this group, this department, this organization? 
And I had always loved coaching. So I said, well, one thing that I'm seeing and observing is that the team that we are working in is not really engaged individually. If you look at the people into anything that helps them grow as people, they're all very focused on making the project successful. So one thing that I suggested was there's a methodology called peer coaching, right? Where you are in a group, in this case was, I think we were like 15 or 18 people or something like that. And instead of bringing somebody in from the outside or the manager or leader of the group is basically telling everybody what to do, even though they obviously do performance reviews, in peer coaching, you, you build basically groups of two who help each other improve in the areas that they have together identified as weaknesses. And you can't do this forever. You want to switch the people every about six to nine months. Six months is probably a good thing. If you get together, like if you and I were in, in that what's called a diet, we come together once a week for like maybe 45 minutes for six months in a row, you know, then we can help each other. You might say, I, I really want or wish I could do this better and I know you're good at it and vice versa. If we do this for six months, there will be definitely a significant improvement. And for the companies, obviously cheap because they bring somebody like me in to do the workshop and maybe a little bit of handholding once and then all 18 people know how to do it and you can just mix and match them however you want to. And I have always hoped they would carry it on when they go to their next jobs in different companies to say, hey, we did a pretty cool thing here and I can show you how to do it. Um, but so in this context, um, I got to know one person a little deeper. And at the time I asked, when you are uh, advancing in your career, what kind of manage, manager do you think you're going to be or want to be? And what, the question was asked mainly because I wanted to know what skills do you need to improve on that you not already have? And the, per the person said, I don't see myself in a management role. I don't want to manage any other people. I want to be as good as possible in what I'm doing and I'm working hard on that. And to me, since I gotten to know the person for a while, I really felt that, that if that were allowed to happen, I, I mean that in the most friendly and softest way possible, that would be such a waste of enormous potential. Mm -hmm. right? Because I find, for example, there are certain traits like real diligence, real accuracy, real dedication and stuff. We always claim that everybody has it, but I can tell you after like working for 40 years, not everybody has. It. So when yeah. you see it, you want to foster it, you want to support it and stuff. So I said, okay, well, we're doing this peer coaching program now, but if you ever want to, I'm here for you to coach. Right? And I asked the company if they're okay with it. Everybody was okay with it. Okay. So ultimately, uh, the person came around and said, okay, I want to take you up on this. And then we did this for two years. Now, I mean, I don't want to go through all the little individual steps, but this person now is a manager and got certified as a program manager still has huge potential and is, and I obviously can't tell names, but is even a, a member in what we call the tribe at Idea Wealth Grower, because besides advancing the career, there's also obviously something that you want to do for your financial well-being, right? And I had developed it and, and kind of the running joke between the two of us was always, when I get the mindset, the way you, uh, she, uh, she always said, I know I need to get the mindset that you describe in the mindset manual, but not everybody can just, uh, you know, snip a finger and make it happen. But ultimately got to the point and said, I think I'm right and I'm ready. And 
you know, now I want to take that step. And so it's been years and years and years. And each time there is this, I don't want to really call it a transition. It's kind of growth mm -hmm. right? where, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can um, be a manager. Oh, I can be like more um, confident. Oh, I can be an investor. And one of the things since we're talking about like vision and being a leader and stuff like that is, in my opinion, that you you have to, in the process of growth in, in these directions, start to adopt a mindset that allows you continuous growth. Right. And and that's what I why I wrote this mindset manual. People can download it for free. And it basically says on the one end of the uh, spectrum, whether you want to get to your time freedom point or anything else in life, is the mindset of I'm the creator of my own future. Mm -hmm. And at the other end of that spectrum is I'm the victim of the environment, circumstances, and any kind of other fill in the blanks word I can find. So for the people that work with us at Idea Wealth Grow as members of the tribe, one of the things that I want to instill in them is that they are the leader of the company that I encourage them to found a little LLC for the purpose of their investment portfolio, right? So you can be an employee in whichever company if anybody listens to us and is not a business owner, but for your own financial house, for your own financial portfolio, that's why we have that little house here in the background, that mm -hmm. is your financial house. And for that, you should be the leader of the organization that does everything that is related to building this into the mansion of your legacy. Right. And so that's mindset. If you feel that you cannot do anything that is not somehow influenced by the environment or some other people or rules and laws and whatever, and you basically are victim rather than creator, everything will be a hundred times harder. So that's why I'm, I'm, you know, in, in coaching, we have these aha uh, moments in mentoring when we're working at Idea Wealth Grow, because they are all I do is, you know, as you mentioned in your intro, in 2005, I started the company shortly after I started investing. I, I had only the intention to do it for myself, for not so much my legacy, but for taking care of my, my family and at some point being able to retire. And when people encouraged me to make it official, as I mentioned before, what I started to do at that point was take all the stuff that I had done myself and make all of it available to the people that joined the tribe. So the, the lenders I'm working with, the insurance companies I'm working with, the providers of the properties I'm working with, the um, developers I'm working with, the educational content I'm working with. I used all of it and still do all of it myself. Not in the work. I'm the leader. I'm not doing all the work. Or almost mm -hmm. no, none of the work. But I created this house for us, for my family. And now I'm helping other people get access to the same tools, to the exact same things that I use to build my house for them to use there and build their house. And obviously, everybody has different tastes. So their house will not look like mine. But the value that's underneath that will provide for them when they say, okay, I reached my time freedom point and the associated number of passive income. Now, this is the house that allows me to be a painter, allows me to go surfing, allows me to buy an RV and circumvent the world or you know whatever you want to do. <laughs> because you know that the basic stuff of money coming in to pay for your life, for your hobbies for your family for education all this kind of stuff is covered yeah i love this i love this uh 
And, and like you mentioned, um, there's just so many different strategies, so many different um, mindset shifts that not only can someone approach and use when they're building their business, growing their business for a home service industry, uh, pr- uh, what we'll call it a practice now. I love that term. But not only that, but also just for in your investment, for your growth. And uh, I mean, <clears throat> tell us where can people find what, what's your website where they can find all the tools uh, information on the time freedom point, the strategies and everything else that we've, that you've discussed so far, what's your website? Yeah. The website itself is idealwealthgrower.com. And if somebody wants to just kind of see what are the things like the high level, if you were to say, okay, give me a heading for each of the things that you guys do. If you go to idealwealthgrower.com and then there are like little menu steps and there's one called shop. If you um, scroll down a little bit, we went out and said, okay, we have basically two programs. One is a six months program and the other one is called the lifetime program. And we did this because I know some people say, okay, this all sounds good, but I want proof. And I say, okay, if you want proof, then why would you pay for a lifetime? Just pay for six months. If you get the proof that you're looking for, you can always upgrade to lifetime. Right. But what we did in this context, because we offer this approach, either six months or lifetime, is to really show all the things in a table. And obviously, in six months, you can't get everything. I mean, if it were possible to change your life financially in every way in six months, I come back to what I always say, everybody would do it. Well, it's not possible, I can tell you that. <laughs> but at least you can see, okay, in lifetime, obviously, everything that is needed is listed. But for your question, if somebody wants to know, okay, is it just buying houses? No. Is it just building an LLC? No. And it's a lot of other things. So I encourage people, yes, read the stuff on the website and the articles and the podcast and all that good stuff. But when you want to see the high level headings of what are we actually covering, that's the best place. Click on shop, scroll down and then look at that table and each line is basically one of the headings. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay. And that's idealwealthgrower.com. Ideal, I D A L, wealthgrower.com. Uh, you definitely need to go check it out, everybody listening. Uh, lots of tools, lots of different strategies. And as you can tell, um, Axel, Dr. Axel uh, Meyerhofer is a brilliant mind and he can really help you, you know, just change your perspective on everything, shift your perspective, your behaviors uh, to create wealth and to take your business in the next direction. He's just brilliant mind, uh, former pilot, so much uh, stuff and, and interesting things to unpack there. Um, Axel, I really appreciate you being on the show. This has just been such a pleasure. Yeah, awesome, Arthur. Thank you again for having me. It was fun talking to you. Yeah, it was very, very fun for me, too. Um, I know everybody listening has enjoyed this as well. And remember, IdealWealthGrower.com. He is Dr. Axel Meyerhofer, and he has just been a great guest. We're going to wrap up the show today. This has been Episode 28 of the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. Uh, We'll check everybody next time. Have a wonderful week. Arthur Yawn here. Thank you so much for listening to the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. If you are a successful restorer, contractor, or home service provider who would like to be on this program, please visit jointhenestteam.com slash go. If you got something out of this interview, would you also share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the social. 
If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag HSSB Spotlight. I love seeing your posts, love seeing your guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and your reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, jointhenestteam.com slash go, or follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.